Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 181, Exchanging Dharma, the Consumer Mindset. Hokai Sobel joins us again to explore the invisible mindsets and forces that shape Western Buddhism. We start off by examining the old Western model of master-apprentice, and then shifting into present day, we explore what we might call the consumer mindset. This is part two of a multi-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. It's interesting to hear the, sort of a take on the traditional culture and traditional story of Buddhism, mostly in the East. And part of the reason that we wanted to discuss this is because you, myself, and another teacher, we were having this conversation at one point about how we might begin to do some programs through Buddhist geeks. And of course, when we talked about doing programs, the issue of money came up at the forefront of that. It's like, how do we charge for these things? Do we charge? If we do charge, what models do we use? What are the underlying you know, assumptions behind these models? Where are we coming from on this? How does it fit into the rest of the cultural matrix of American and European Buddhists? You know, all these questions came to the forefront, and we really had a difficult time, more difficult than I expected, in exploring those topics. And you know what I mean? It was very challenging, because on the one hand, I felt like, I wanted to do something a little bit new and different from some of the models I've been part of, which I yeah. thought had some big holes. And then on the other hand, there's a lot of good things in those models that have values like generosity built in and yeah. have really beautiful elements that would be foolish to get rid of. Like you're saying, the moment that one set of assumptions is taken out there's some new set that has to take its place <laughs> so oh yeah that just brought up this big question of okay in the contemporary buddhist culture what kind of economics make sense do we stick with the old elaborate donation models that you described do we move to more a model that's more in line with our mainstream capitalistic society at least in the case of america i know it's not the case in all of the West. Yeah, these questions came up, and questions around student and teacher came up as well, and what do those roles look like? So I figured maybe it'd be good, to, moving from the traditional story, to start talking about what things look like now, what are some contemporary examples of different invisible forces, cultures oh, yeah. that are oh, in, yeah. in the West. Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, the transmission of Dharma and when, when I say transmission, I mean here in very broad sense. I mean also, you know, not just the transmission of lineages and the formal titles and the succession of masters in schools and stuff, but the transmission meaning also the translation of texts, the establishment of permanent places in the West where, you know, reliable instruction can be received, etc. So... The whole this process is not taking us only through space, namely from one continent in the east to another place in the west, but the transmission is also taking place through time, 
meaning that most of what is transmitted has not really been modernized in the East. Of course, you know, any monk can use a, a mobile or get access to internet, but that's the technique of it is not what we're discussing here, of course, because values and relationships need to change accordingly. The Western world has seen some models in the past as well that are not so far off from the Eastern models, namely the, the model of the you know master and, and apprentice was a universal way of teaching in the West for at least a thousand years, and I would say from the time of Greece. The master-apprentice model is very illustrative because it shows that there is something transcultural in this sense, a time-tested model based on the relationship between two or more people has been developed in different cultures. And that basically the apprentice all across Europe who would want to study anything from carpentry to contemplative prayer to Kabbalah would basically move in with his teacher. Mm. And sometimes there would be substantial donation implied at the beginning of the study by the family of the student. And sometimes the situation would be such that the master would uh, basically take care of all the apprentice's needs and that the apprentice would, of course, not get paid, <laughs> but would instead pay for accommodation and food through working with the master, through being the assistant. And now what comes about here is that the apprentice would learn whatever is the you know knowledge skill discipline within that relationship so basically this relationship this being together would serve as a context for the learning process and some of that has been preserved in the universities with the mentoring system yeah. where yeah where students have you know quite a high degree of access to the mentor professor yeah. And, you know, they can approach his chamber, you know, and whether in office, they can knock on his door late at night or whatever. You know, of course, it's individual and it depends. But there is a convention around that, that indeed a student and the mentor are almost family. You know, this element has been preserved in spite of the huge blow by the modernity and postmodernity to the traditional uh, system of transmitting knowledge and skill. So there is something to be said for that, and I don't mean it in little terms, you know, I'm, I'm all for that, as long as we can really update the whole thing to fit our psychologies, personalities, and social relations, so that it can indeed be psychologically, economically, and culturally sustainable and effective, you know, and not just a valuable traditional way of doing things. So, basically, we have a model and it still lives in some countries like Germany and France for some professions like carpentry. And you have your apprenticeship period with the master of carpenter and then uh, after that period, that is usually several years, you have uh, three years plus one day being a journeyman. You become a journeyman by traveling throughout the country and you never come back to within 50 miles of your uh, city 
And after that process where you prove that you can earn uh, and that you can serve people and that you can get a stamp in each city office where you visit, you come back to your original place where you are going to live and work and the guild confirms your mastery of carpentry, for example. And these journeymen are uh, well known in Germany. They have a special uniform and everyone can recognize them and people are not afraid when they see someone looking like a character from Harry Potter, uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) knocking on your door, you know, and offering services or whatever. So, basically, this is just a side note or a footnote to say that the Western uh, world, even recently and even nowadays, is not a complete stranger to apprenticeship and to establishing, I would say, a rather close learning situation between someone who's got something, you know, and someone who's uh, interested in the something. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Basically, there are conventions that we can rely on to just uh, see uh, what works and what doesn't. So, moving into the contemporary situation, there are many ways we can talk about the roles and relationships and stuff, but I believe the best models or the most useful ones are those that are at the same time relatively simple and relatively elegant in the way they fit into the situations so that we can recognize very quickly and apply some of these tools in our own uh, private situation or perhaps in our community. One way of seeing what those models and what those mindsets are that can become activated when we are in a situation of dharmic exchange. So it could be uh, another student, it could be, if you're a teacher out there, it could be another teacher, it could be plural. Across the range and across the scope of these different relationships and across the traditions, which is very important, you know, because often people will say, well, maybe that works in the Vipassana community, you know, but in our Dzogchen community that would never work. So, one way of looking at these is that the lowest common denominator, basically, that we all understand, but that we somehow do our best to avoid thinking about openly, is the consumer. Mm -hmm. So, the consumer is the role that we find ourselves playing and being played by practically day in and day out. So we buy stuff, we sell stuff, we look at the price tag, you know, we think about it and we compare prices and we say, oh God, this is like 300 something and this is 100 something and it looks the same. So this 300 must be robbery, you know, and this 100 is a best buy or whatever. So it's basically a very early mechanism of uh, evaluating situations. But it doesn't work only with money. It works also with anything that can be perceived as being uh, given over or let go of in order to come into the opportunity to receive something or to get something or in order to uh, acquire the right to have something, to take something. So there are issues of time and issue of sacrifice and all sorts of stuff. 
but basically a consumer will have the impulse to give as little as possible and to come back with as much as possible which is a legitimate consumer impulse i know many people out there are somewhat allergic to mentioning consumerism and uh, buddha dharma in one sentence which i just did you know <laughs> <laughs> you know i i believe consumerism can be safely included under the umbrella of a healthy attitude as long as we are clear about what it means and what it can do and what it cannot do of its limitations and of its somehow inherent slant if as a student i unwittingly become played by this consumer program if this mindset comes online within me i will tend to value stuff in a counter proportional manner namely if a practice can be done in 10 days why should i do it 100 days and then also if a teacher is here in new york why would i travel to see another one in los angeles or if a book costs 35 dollars on amazon but i can download a scanned pdf copy for free why would i pay for the book or something like that you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there is a whole mindset there basically a consumer feels he or she wants something he or she doesn't have that's the basic mindset and the consumer will perceive someone else as having that which he or she wants yes and there will be yeah and there will be conditions between these two people the other person will rarely if ever come and just say oh you want my dharma here it is no problem unless they are stoned or something you know yes however what i've just described is the limited or the you know unhealthy version of consumer the one which most buddhists out there presume we're talking about when we say consumer but there is also a healthy dimension of this namely that someone who is consumer is also aware that there are always expenses involved in everything someone who is a mature consumer is well aware that nothing comes for free in terms of production and you know a human being needs uh, not just the traditional uh, uh what was it food shelter clothes and medicine those were the four basic uh, yeah requisites for a monk's life well we have now one country i think it's norway or finland that proclaimed that fast access to internet is a human right yep yeah so you know we're moving ahead and uh, we got the schooling introduced what 200 years ago things are changing we are all uh, literate these days most monks were not in the past things are changing in many ways and every one of these advancements has a certain cost and the whole process of maintaining and sustaining a contemporary dharma transmission and creating favorable environments doing what we can to uh, have those environments as permanent as it's possible all these things have their cost and have their expenses 
in many, many different ways. So being a responsible and a conscious consumer in the Dharma can be made into a virtue. Namely that we can become aware that by investing our money, whether through buying or through donation or becoming a sponsor or a patron or whatever, the word customer comes from developing a custom of spending somewhere. And I would suggest that we can be a Dharma customer by developing a custom of serving the Dharma by the way we spend. This sometimes means spending more somewhere and spending less somewhere else, but uh, most often it means spending consciously and spending responsibly and caring about what our money is doing and caring about the effects of that money and demanding transparency from our organizations, teachers and other fellow students, discussing it openly, putting aside the mentality where money is taboo and where money has no value, while, you know, in private life, if we lose 200 bucks, we are, you know, at least nervous Mm -hmm. until we find the 200 bucks or stuff like that, you know? So, yeah. This consumer uh, notion is very important to recognize as a certain mindset, as a certain archetypal, uh, you know, role that we can play into or be played by, whether unwittingly or fully consciously. Hopefully, we do more of the latter and less of the former. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.